0: Hi there, everyone, and welcome to PenPoints, a brand new conversational podcast series presented by us here at Finger Guns. Each episode, we'll talk one on one with media and entertainment professionals, whether we from the game, film or music industry, to discuss their careers, how they got started, the highs and lows of the job and their own opinions on the industry. To kick off, then, I'm honoured and frankly, a little amazed to be joined by, hang on, let me just see if I get all of this correct, an author, a podcaster, a barrister, a writer for Empire magazine, among others. But most impressively, I think, saw the original Broadway cast production of Hamilton with her own <laughs> eyes. As I live and breathe, it's Helen O'Hara. Hello.
1: Hello. Yes, that is correct. I did see Hamilton.
0: <laughs> it's 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 just an astonishing achievement. I don't know where to start
1: with that. <laughs> what what it, what it takes, basically, is you have to be sent to New York for a junket, and then you have to get lucky and find a ticket you can vaguely afford and then you just have to live on noodles for a month to try and get your bank account back in the black. Is that what it takes? That's what it takes. I mean, I got very lucky. Like Genuinely, you know, this is a time when tickets were going for like a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars anyway. And I got sure. it for a lot less than that, but still way more than I have ever paid for a ticket to a show. So, yeah.
0: How about your seats?
1: Pretty good. I was sort of halfway back in the stalls. I okay. mean, off to one side, but like I could I could recognize faces. It was yeah, it was dreamy. I can I can't lie. It was fantastic.
0: Jonathan groff spitting everywhere. You saw it's all live. Oh,
1: all all of it live. <laughs> all of it.
0: Incredible. Um well thank you so much for your time. Yeah, pleasure. Um, I'm um I'm a big old fan as i as I mentioned in my shockingly groveling email that I sent to you. And um yeah, I just I yeah, I always wanted to to chat and say hi. I mean very briefly i think we've we've chatted way back when in the empire chat rooms during the academy oh. awards
1: oh those were the days i genuinely miss the forums um mm. i i think we just had such a good community of people on empire and and obviously you know social media kind of like hollowed it out and then mm. you know the decision was made we don't really need this anymore but i do feel like we've lost something
0: It was nice to be in those rooms that night we're all staying up Mm. till God knows what in the morning um, (laughs) chatting about the Oscars. And it was great. And I remember asking you about um, about doing your job and doing interviews and things Mm. and how you would ever been kind of like starstruck by anyone. The only person that you said was Keanu Reeves.
1: That is Um, still the biggest one. Is it really? Yeah, it's still the biggest because I did him again since. So um I I got slightly blindsided the first time because because I I was like I was a fan of his growing up like everybody I'm not not an idiot um and uh or at least not in that way and um and yeah, so it was, but but at the same time, like his career was not like he was not on top of the world. I was interviewing him that first time for the day the Earth stood still, so it wasn't like Pete Keanu, you know. Oh, okay. So, so I was a little bit blasé about it, and then I walked into the room, and like my subconscious went mental, um, <laughs> and I was just like, my inner monologue was just like, "It's Neo right there." Oh my God. <laughs> Um, anyway, so so a couple of years later for John Wick Chapter 2, we did him for the podcast, and I said to James, who did it with me, like, I may I may lose my shit. Like, I kept it together on the outside, but in, internally, I lost my shit. And I said, that might happen again. Like, I can't guarantee that it won't. Um, and I was really heartened to see it basically happen to him, too. I think Keanu just has that effect.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Love him. Ooh. But, but yeah, I mean, it's it's him and, like, a few other people, like, you know, well, you know, maybe not so much nowadays, but I interviewed Joss Whedon, and that was a huge deal. You know, I've been in the same room. I haven't had a proper interview with Spielberg, but I have been in the same room as Spielberg, and that was a huge deal, you know. So those are the ones that I tend to get more just hyped about in advance. Sure.
0: sure. I think you were due to do Spielberg recently, weren't you? But it uh, oh, didn't happen
1: he got sick (laughs) i was in i was in the room i was in the green room waiting i was within half an hour of the interview oh it was heartbreaking but you know at least he's still making films so fingers crossed for next time
0: absolutely um so you know as i mentioned you are probably best known for empire magazine um the world's number one movie magazine as they keep telling (laughs) um What's your currently your role is um
1: editor at large is that right that is, is correct, I, yeah, which sorry. is yeah minister with art portfolio person without technical job um, <laughs> okay. is, is kind of what that means um it it kind of means they wanted to you know to to kind of make clear that I have a tie to the mothership um but I have been freelance since twenty fourteen so i I write for other people as well and and that has been it's been a learning curve and it's been um it's been interesting I feel like it's made me better as a writer and Mm -hmm. and to then bring that back let's be honest to Empire um and then um and it's also just given me a bit more freedom to do things like the you know the the books and stuff that I've done so it's been yeah a, a bit of a roller coaster but uh kind of a fun one at the end of the day not one of the rubbish ones
0: sure do you notice the difference between publications
1: yeah, you do a bit. I mean, you know, at the at the most obvious level, you know, I have written for, you know, some of the women's mags like Grazia and Stylist and mm-hmm. people like that. And you just can't assume the same kind of movie knowledge, obviously, that you would have of an, of an Empire audience. You can't make the same nerdy jokes, obviously. You know, it's sure. pretty basic stuff. I'm not, you know, not sort of reinventing the wheel here but um but just you know getting that through your head and then and then sort of calibrating how much you can assume people know because you don't want to you also don't want to treat people as stupid um quite frankly if they're not nerds some people would say that's more intelligent as a choice so you don't want to kind of patronize people but equally you don't want to be assuming that they know or care you know which one is yoda
0: sure. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh yeah i um i have a Terrible affliction for Funko Pops and my my mum. As a thirty six year old man, by the way, oh, um, my mum comes in and goes, um, "Oh, you got Yoda." I was like, "It's not Yoda, it's Grogu." But okay, you know, <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs>
1: How dare you! How dare you say that?
0: It's yeah, it's shocking, frankly. <laughs> to be honest, um, so it's it's a certainly an interesting time for film, isn't it? Right now, um, we have mm. um the the writer is not going to work, the actor's not going yep. to work, yeah. Um, a real fear that there'll be no movies made next year. Yeah. Um, where are you with, um, in terms of the strikes? Do you feel like, because I've had to kind of try, try to explain why multimillionaires like Seth Rogan are in the writer's strike or in the, yeah. the, the, the actor's strike, but obviously they're doing it for different reasons. Um, well, yeah, I
1: mean, their union is on strike and they are members of the union. So it's not like, yeah. I don't think any of them are saying, like George Clooney or whoever is not saying he personally is being treated unfairly. Sure. He is saying these rules are not fair for... Everyone in the union, you know, and and I think actually what's been happening so far is that the, the bigger names have been very effectively leveraging their star power to help everybody else. Because there's it's something like, was it 150,000 people in SAG-AFTRA? Like, it's a big, big, big number of people. Mm-hmm. You do not know all of those names. Those are not all A-list stars. They are not all making millions. In fact, of course, there's the the famous statistic that's been floating around that uh, 86% of them or something don't qualify For healthcare through the union, the threshold for which is twenty six thousand dollars a year. So that's under twenty thousand pounds a year, Mm -hmm. and eighty six percent of them are making less than that from acting. So that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for those people. Um, So yeah. So I'm like just. I mean, I'm I'm inclined to be a big old lefty anyway, but um, but in this case, I'm very, very, very much with both strikes. Um, I think they're both vital for the future of. Of film, I think if you're a film fan, you should be behind both strikes, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see it, do you see it winding up anytime soon? Is there any window? Is there any end to it? Do you think?
1: Uh, I'm I'm hoping. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit optimistic because I, I feel like there's. A bit of pressure being put on the studio's AMPTP, uh, which is the negotiating body, as we keep pronouncing it on, on Empire. It's A-M-P-T-P is the name of the negotiating body for the studios. and Pressure is now being put on the studios by, um, first of all, Wall Street, which is really helpful because that's all they care about. But second of all, which they care about, but maybe slightly less, is um, the exhibitors as well. The, the, the theatrical um, owners are also saying you need to sort this out and you need to make some concessions so um and i think public opinion has been overwhelmingly generally with the writers and the actors so um yeah. so i'm hopeful that at some point uh, the mptp will, will see some kind of sense and will make some concessions because um because it, you know it is a problem if people cannot sustain a career in these industries then they won't be there when we need them to be there do you know what i mean like Mm. if if you you have to be able to have enough kind of residuals and stuff to keep you going through the lean times so you can write your original idea so you can pitch your original idea so you can get your next thing made so you can work your way up so you can become you know one of these names that we do know either as a writer or an actor um so it's it's that kind of thing brian cranston for example like he worked in tiny supporting roles for 20 years before Malcolm in the Middle nearly and then another you know that probably kept him going until Breaking Bad but if he hadn't had residuals coming in from all of those guest starring roles and all those tiny little things you know he would have had to give up and we wouldn't have had Breaking Bad you know we we need these people to be making a living wage that's it basically so yeah it's it's pretty clear cut to me and I'm trying I'm really trying to be vaguely even-handed but but i i'm not i think i think what the studios are doing is is essentially evil and certainly self-defeating
0: sure yeah i agree i mean we even look at marvel that was taught this week of the vfx guys unionizing as well
1: yeah yeah well i think i've been um for years one of the things i've done as a freelancer has been hosting a vfx festival every year where um some of the best in the business basically come along and give talks to you know students and early career vfx artists so i've been i've i've heard a lot about that industry over time and i've made a lot of friends there and um my impression is that uh unionization if it, if it happens for the vfx artists will be long overdue and very very helpful because again they have this you know, the, the you know, they're they're made impossible demands on impossible time schedules. And again, that is when we get films with bad effects. There is almost no such thing as bad special effects. What there is is cheap and rushed special effects. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, you know, okay, somewhere in history there have been some bad effects that weren't produced under time or money pressure, but genuinely that's a that's a minority, I think of the ones that don't work the ones that don't work generally speaking are the result of being rushed or being um done on the on the cheap and so so yeah so i think if the vfx industry does unionize and people have a bit more protection and can plan their lives a bit more and and also it gives you know the vfx companies a bargaining chip to use them when the studios make these impossible demands they go well look we can't do it because of the union rules so you either have to pony up some more cash or some more time or you know you can't have it uh, and and that's actually weirdly, I think that's probably a good thing for film as well. I think you know it may seem like oh my goodness, Helen's just advocating for for massive budgets, but again, I just think we we want to see as film goers, we want to see great movies, and we don't actually, I imagine, want people to suffer to make them, and that is what is happening right now. And I don't think it should be.
0: Yeah, um, I agree completely. Um, I mean, the MCU itself is. Um... It's almost itself in a very strange position at the at the moment. Mm. How you where I know I I don't want to piss on Empire Podcast Baby. I know the MCU. It's <laughs> very important to a lot of you. Um but wh- where do you where worry with the MCU right now? How do you feel about its current um,
1: Yeah, Uh I mean <laughs> I, I've I've had it's it's it hasn't been on a great a great run terribly recently. Secret invasion, I thought was pretty bad in places and certainly disappointing overall uh you know some of the films have had great bits great moments um i don't know well guardians three i actually enjoyed way more than i expected to but with that exception the recent films have not blown me away so yeah, I do worry. I'm I'm really hopeful that the Marvels will be great because I think those are great characters and and I, especially Kamala Khan. I want nothing but great things for her. Um yes. but um but yeah, I do have a worry. I think that we had that sense, we had that collective sense of everything building to this crescendo with Endgame. And it was it was exciting and it was something people invested in. And it was something people got excited by. Um but then we're like, oh, so wait, we're supposed to stick around for another ten years while you build up something else? Oh, mm. you know, it's beginning exactly to feel that, like yeah. homework, you know. <laughs> so, so I like, I get that, and I think they're going to have to figure a way through that. And I think the one of the ways they're going to have to do, it, which, to be fair, they have announced they're going to do, is you know, dial it back a bit, make a bit less, make it, give everything a bit more time and a bit more breathing room, uh, and and hopefully, you know, really sweat the story and make sure the story and the characters get their get the time they need and again the vfx people and all the people behind the scenes everything else um and then hopefully they can they can kind of remind us why we love this universe in the first place
0: absolutely um i can't believe there's been 10 movies since endgame is
1: like, it really gosh
0: it blows my mind <laughs>
1: wow
0: um and it just shows you know like you were saying about the output of the mcu yeah, and even over COVID in that time, Endgame was what pre-COVID, wasn't it? And it was
1: 2019. Yeah, thank God. Can you imagine if they shut uh, down the cinemas before Endgame? I think we might have rioted. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, we would have gone. Yeah, we well, forget it. We're all going. I don't care. Yeah, just I don't care. <laughs> we have to see what Cap looks like. And you know that was that was such a strange time. And yet mm. MCU was just it was just carrying on. It was just going and going and going. We got the TV shows, and yeah, you're right. I mean, look at 2023 now. I wasn't. A huge fan of quantum mania i loved guardians
1: mm.
0: um secret invasion i mean that cast how do you waste that cast uh, I, I don't
1: know, know. I, I think there'd been you know like a lot of films nowadays and i think this is actually a general problem is too strong a word but there's, there's a there's a general thing to be thought about and to be addressed so uh secret invasion to me looked like it had been chopped up and pasted back together um in the edit and there'd been you know definitely been reshoots and everything else and and i think they had identified some problems and tried to fix them and i i don't know what the problems were originally but the fix didn't work i think it's fair to say um and and you see that a lot on a lot of big films these days and i think it goes back not solely but in large part i think it traces back to john carter now I was lucky enough to be on set of John Carter. I interviewed Anderson so many times that he literally started going, oh, it's you again, when I walked into a room. Um, (laughs) And he's a delightful man, and he's one of these people who will talk very frankly about the filmmaking process in a way that a lot of directors feel they can't. Um, But one of the things he talked about was the fact that he had built into his schedule time for reshoots, pickups, and fine-tuning at the end. So he had built in money in the budget, That he wanted to put aside, get everybody back, you know, six months or a year after main filming and do anything he wanted at that point to make it better. Right. And I think it's a good film. I think it's underrated. I think it suffered from the fact that all the films that were inspired by the book John Carter had come out in the last hundred years. And so it seemed like old hat when we got to an actual adaptation of John Carter. But I think it's a fine film. But But this was his approach because he was kind of doing it like he did in animation. So he was, he wanted there to be time at the end to make everything as good as it can possibly be to plus it, as they say at Pixar. And, and that's now become pretty standard in Hollywood, right? It used to be, if you heard about a film having reshoots, you're like, oh, they're in trouble. Nothing works. (laughs) And now it's just like, it's, it's, it's normal, right? I mean, you've, you've read the the stories and you're like, yeah, okay. Reshoots, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, unless they go on for months at a time, in which case you're a bit like, okay, this seems like it might be a problem. (laughs) But, um, but anyway, so every film started doing that. And I think, I think it has led to a sense that you don't need to lock the script in advance and you can be free and loose and you can shake things up. And that does tend to lend itself to sometimes sloppier storytelling, I think. And, uh, certainly less coherent storytelling some of the time. Um, which is a, a problem, even if you're not doing a giant interconnected universe like the MCU, because I n- in no way think that the MCU is the only or the worst offender in this respect. But I, I think it's becoming a general problem in Hollywood that there's an over-reliance on reshoots. And also that I think it possibly takes some power away. Now I have to, this is something I actually genuinely want to go out and interview some people about, but I've a a theory that it takes some power away from the director because the director can no longer say, "Well, we didn't get that on set, so we're just going to have to work with what we have," and sort of control the film that way. Now the execs can really say, "No, but we need you to put in a scene where you explain, you know, who Napoleon was, or you explain, you know, the plot um, for really stupid people," Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 I think that can really. Uh, drag a film down and I think it can be a real problem and I think that directors have less leverage to prevent that happening because it is always possible to go back and do a bit more and it is always possible to add something in Um, so yeah so anyway this is a personal theory like I say I haven't talked about it in depth with any directors but I feel like that's happening more and more and I feel like that that sort of don't worry about the script we'll figure it out as we go approach is pretty dangerous as a general rule. I mean, obviously, there have been some great films. We all know them that were essentially pasted together on the fly, but I feel like they're a minority of great films, and and I feel like more uh, more respect should be put on the writers and the screenplay for me. But I'm a writer of another sort, so I would say that probably wouldn't I? You know?
0: <laughs> well, I think what what I find interesting, kind of like to, to kind of. um Go into that is like going back to something like Endgame, where half the cast mm. didn't know the story, yeah, <laughs> or didn't know, didn't have a script, and yet somehow it was absolutely miraculously brilliant.
1: Yeah, and- but I, but there at least you have you know you have Marcus and McFeely who who had a very clear idea of what they were trying to do, and also a very clear idea of when they did change things on the fly, what knock on effects that had. For the most part. I mean, I can still quibble yeah. about it. A few tiny things in the game. But generally, do you know what I mean? I think generally speaking, they and the Russos are very good at, the, the, at this figuring it out as they go. Um, sure. And that is one of the films that is good despite being, you know, <laughs> kind of a mess at times. Um, but but I, I think and not everybody has that sureness of tone. And I think we're beginning to see that more and more. Mm-hmm. No, well, sorry, I interrupted. You were still you were still talking.
0: No, no, it's fine. Um, I was just curious about those quibbles in Endgame. Is one of them just Chris Evans shaving the beard off? Is that a...
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> still not over it. <laughs> Somebody sent me the picture just yesterday. I'm like, Oh, why would you? Why would you do that?
0: No, I understand.
1: <sighs> I was
0: I was listening to uh, the Guardians three spoiler special um, mm-hmm. last night. I've been working a lot. I haven't been able to get to the cinema a lot, so I'm catching things on digital as they come out. Right, and catching up with the spoiler podcast, kind of one at a time and um there's there's a great bit right at the end where where you and chris and james are all so optimistic about secret invasion and that's what i that's what i love about the podcast that you're always so positive about what's coming ahead you know um yeah and you're like these guys are. look at the cast look at the look at the team it's gonna be great and
1: it's just yeah. it's always
0: sad when you get your heart broken.
1: <laughs> it is a bit. I mean, look, Empire for a long time has had this sort of unofficial motto that every day is Christmas Eve. We say it a lot on the podcast. You you've heard it. Yeah. Um it comes from the last editor, but three or four, I don't know. The Colin Colin Kennedy anyway, who's the editor back in the early 2000s. Um, that was one of his that was one of his kind of mantras for the magazine. So until we've seen it, we hope for the best. Until we've seen it, and look, there are films where it has really tested us like venom, I really struggled I really struggled <laughs> to see anything but a pair of socks in that package um but but generally speaking we we try to give things the benefit of the doubt in advance because you can be pleasantly surprised. it Indeed. happens just not enough.
0: <laughs> does everything start at five stars and then work its way down?
1: Ah Do
0: uh, uh no or is it zero was it the other way around?
1: I mean, I'll be honest. Like, of course, we have expectations. I, of course, we're sitting there thinking, "I, you know, this doesn't look great." Sometimes, like you, you're thinking, but you, but you try to give things a benefit of the because there have been films that didn't look great and and were fantastic. I remember going into this is a very bad example, but I went into Crank, that uh, crazy Jason, oh, and I, uh, yeah, and I had zero expectations. I was like, oh, another Jason Statham action film. He's not my favorite action guy. Like, whatever. And I was absolutely blown away. I was, you know, just completely charmed by it. So, mm. like, it can happen. Do you know what I mean? On paper, I would have been like, oh, whatever. It's probably going to be a two. Um, but, but I did have just the best time. Um, so, so it can happen. So we tr- basically, we try not to dismiss anything in advance because that isn't fair to the hundreds and hundreds of people who worked on it. Um, I mean, decisions have to have been made about what we're most excited about and what we most want to cover as a magazine. Yeah. But as a general rule, we try to keep a, a bit of an open mind. So, but I, at the same time, you don't, you know, you don't realistically go in at the start of every film going, right? You have five stars. Let's see how many you lose over the running time. Like <laughs> I, I certainly don't work that way. For me, it's very kind of impressionistic. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, uh, you know, well, I, I, don't know. It feels like a. We often talk about like high two, low three. It's a high three, yeah. low four. You know. It's a dead on three. Like it it's it's very impressionistic. Sometimes I have to write the review first and see how it reads and find out what I thought of it from that.
0: <laughs> sure. Um I think uh, I mean my favorite film so far the show is Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Oh, um, so good.
0: I had such a wonderful time with that. And yeah. um, that's that's a five-star film for me. If I was writing for Empire, it'd be <laughs> it'd be nailed on. Um I remember I think I
1: did I, I reviewed that one, I think, and gave it four. And I was yeah. almost I was almost second guessing myself on that one because I was like, I mean, it could not be more me. so yeah. am i am I being wildly non-objective because it's fantasy. It's a particular kind of comedy that I really like. I was having a lot of fun looking out for Northern Irish landmarks. Like it was just a perfect little package for me. Um so, yeah, you do you do sometimes try to control for your own biases and then usually just give up and just again, go with your gut
0: absolutely. I was i I remember listening to a podcast by IGN once and now. If they're going to give something um a ten out of ten
1: mm-hmm.
0: they, they they almost have like a board meeting about it first like they right. have like like they they, they, they had like a, a conversation between all of the editors mm. um and and then the the reviewer is then almost somewhat allowed to give right. that ten out of ten <laughs> um I'm assuming Empire doesn't work that way
1: no That's I mean I look. I don't want to talk for what, you know, John is doing with reviews at the moment too much, but um, but I will say, like, certainly when I was reviews editor for a couple of years, uh, the ideal situation, and I don't think the ideal situation has changed, the ideal is that a bunch of us go and see it, a bunch of us talk about it as soon as we get out, and then, you know, from that bunch, the reviewer is chosen and appointed. Now, often nowadays for just, like, logistics reasons the reviewers kind of anointed in advance um and we just hope that they you know write something the magazine can stand by basically sure. but um but but that is to me the the platonic ideal if you like of the empire review is um we all talk about it together we all get a chance to discuss it um and then we we kind of have a, a consensus among ourselves at least or even an argument among ourselves but you know we come out one way or other um and the nightmare scenario is what happened to me with, not nightmare, but the the, the sm- more stressful scenario is what happened to me with The Force Awakens, where I, I was the only one allowed to go to the morning screening. They would only give us one seat. We were going to press that day. So I had to turn around the review before anyone else had had a chance to see it. And of course, luckily, Empire has never gotten Star Wars wrong. So there Absolutely was no, not. no pressure on me whatsoever. Nope. Um, nope. but But I was really really conscious that you know that this could be used as a stick to beat me with for for the rest of my life
0: <laughs> well you say that i mean like the prequels are now sort of beloved in this new generation
1: isn't it weird yeah mm. i mean you know
0: are there any uh films um that you are like no i'm going to read is this one's mine or
1: uh i was very keen to do uh endgame and infinity war but obviously i knew there'd be a bit of a bun fight for those and i think i I got lucky because um both of them they needed to be turned around in a very short space of time and i can write quickly um but uh yeah i mean there have been definitely some where i was like you need to give me this one um i think i fought for well actually i didn't end up running it for empire but i definitely let a number of commissioning editors know that i'd gone to see the, the most recent three musketeers movie um because i loved it and i had so much i wanted to say about it and i really wanted to write it down for someone and i didn't care who so um so i i think i wrote that for time out in the end but um but yeah there are times like that where you just i just i need to say things about this film so you know whoever will have me i'll write about it really
0: well fortunately you have a weekly podcast i guess you can uh, Well, that can also helps. you can get out you yeah. know that that does help it um, is
1: a, it is a lovely i mean it and it was lovely to have during lockdown especially as well for us like just to have that weekly contact with people and you know kind of recreate that office dynamic was was really important so so yeah it is a massive help in all sorts of ways
0: i imagine going back to hamilton i saw you reviewed the disney plus film
1: ah yes that is probably one that i demanded i mean fought for
0: or was that when they go you know just leave (laughs) let let Helen do this one just just like
1: (laughs) yeah possibly
0: (laughs) um i wanted to uh discuss the podcast i mean it's been going for what nearly 11 years now
1: yeah yeah i think yeah. Uh, over 11 i think it was we almost had... one
0: of the wow
1: yeah
0: it was almost one of the first i don't want to say first podcast but kind of the first of its kind
1: <laughs> it was i mean we were a few years behind where we could have been i mean chris mm-hmm. uh, i think in particular spotted the potential for podcasts early and i remember we were having conversations about it back in 2007 and at that point We were getting quoted like crazy numbers to use a studio for an hour to record, and we didn't really have any, you know, editing audio editing experience in our team and everything. So we were being quoted these crazy numbers that just we couldn't justify doing. So we kind of put it aside for a few years until um, until somebody suggested that there there was a way we could do it, basically for nothing, but certainly more cheaply. but yeah, so it could have been it could have been five years earlier, um, and and that sometimes is frustrating. But but yeah, we we it was a great thing when we started doing it because again we had been really busy. Uh, I was working on the website at the at the time. Um, James was editing the website. Chris was on the magazine in theory, but in practice, doing a lot for the website as well. And we had Ali Plum and Phil Desemlin and so on working with us, and it was wow. a great great team of people. But we were all rushed off our feet all the time. There were so many junkets, all those kind of five minute video spots, you know, um, all of these junkets, all these screenings, all these things happening. And there was a lot of pressure to put a huge amount of content on the website. And and we kind of didn't really have any time to talk anymore. It felt like, you know, we, we kind of, I felt like we'd lost something that we used to have in the office in slightly more chilled out days. And the podcast for an hour a week kind of gave that back to us it gave it it reminded us that we liked just talking nonsense to each other and that was a really precious thing actually and I think is the reason that it's that we've held on to it as tight as we have apart from anything else
0: yeah it's it's hugely entertaining I really am, I, I really love it if nothing more um, than just the camaraderie between yourself and Chris and James I mean I guess you've known each other now for a, a long long time
1: a horrifically terrifying amount of time. I'm, I'm I basically it's it's twenty years this year since i since I first wow walked through the doors of Empire. so um that's terrifying. it's and if you do the math on that, I actually obviously toddled through the doors at uh, the age of three. so uh-huh. yeah, that's yeah. astonishing, really that's that's how it did, how it went.
0: <laughs> and you were trained as a barrister before that, so that's a that's even more before amazing. that yeah,
1: child prodigy, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But it's that, it's that chemistry that you three have. I think that's what really makes it work. And um, I think that when you guys get together, when it's a Helen James Chris kind of sandwich podcast, it's like, okay, this is going to be absolutely nuts.
1: And <laughs> yeah. It is almost every time. It's almost every time. Yeah. If anything. And, and the thing is like, we have great other people, you know, as well as, you know, especially Ben, but uh, Amon mm. and John and Nick was on this week and just, you know it's an incredible bunch of people um but uh but yeah we we tend to be the most unrestrained because i think it is just like that 20 years of you know making fun of each other really mm. um kind of comes to play
0: i mean i've not had the um uh the the, the the fortunate luck to 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 talk to james before but i he can't be he, he can't be that mad in real life right
1: um <laughs> Uh, (laughs) this is a
0: character this is a character that he's playing on the podcast surely
1: yeah to an extent to an extent it is he's a very very smart man he's very funny um but he does have a sensible side um as well which maybe doesn't come out quite so much in the podcast yes that's fair yeah Mm. but also it's it's also all of that you hear in the podcast is also james so
0: yeah yeah um (laughs) It's a, it sounds hysterical to be honest to be in the Empire office um, <laughs> on a daily basis.
1: It, I mean, it you know it's calming down a bit uh, nowadays because look, back in the day, the studios had a lot more money to throw at ridiculous promotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first started at, at Empire, there would be times when basically half naked people would come into the office because they'd be swinging by FHM or, or some lads mag downstairs, and then they'd bring them up to us as well. And it's it's really weird sitting there trying to work when somebody's like posing in a bikini behind you like that's just yeah. not natural, you know um so so but but they did sometimes do fun um promotional stuff like Nick was just reminding me yesterday I, I read Nick's new book The Last Action Heroes, which is fantastic. both of his books are so freaking readable. they're so good. but um uh he he reminded me of the day when Dolph Lundgren came in to do a web chat and also, uh, some PRs brought in a literal pram full of kittens to promote. I think it was Puss and Boots 2. What? And so we ended up getting these pictures of Dolph Lundgren holding all of these kittens. I mean, that's amazing. That's not a normal office. Do you know what I mean? That was a, <laughs> that was a very weird day. But um, but yeah, I mean, who's going to object to either of those things? Fantastic.
0: What did you do today? Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I think I think you know that is the chemistry that comes across because when people come to Empire, it's almost as if they don't ever really leave. They kind of just like go back and forth and in and out over time. But um, yeah. you know, um, Terry White was on the pilot TV podcast recently, and mm-hmm. you know, you've always you always stay kind of like connected as as friends and colleagues over the years. Yeah. And um, like yourself, Chris and James have been at Empire now for well, like you said, for two decades, mm. and. I think that really comes across on the
1: the show, yeah I think I think it is one of these because it is everybody's dream job, nobody really leaves, sure, so so yeah, we do we do get these things, of course, you know that also means that when it comes to like pay negotiations, they know we don't want to leave um <laughs> but <laughs> um, but no it's it's a fantastic bunch of people, and it is you know it's just it's just a continual kind of film education, it's a continual writing education you're always you know reading other people's stuff and going oh that oh that's a good sentence oh i like that bit, oh i like well how they've structured that you know so it's kind of um it's it's a really good bunch of people to be in and and everybody has their own little hobby horses that they tend to get very excited about, and and you know we almost kind of swap recommendations and stuff so it's just it's it is a good i mean i'm very 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 fortunate to to have been connected with it for as long as i have just for those reasons
0: yeah it sounds um sounds like it does sound like, the, but um you know i'm I'm a support worker by day uh, hey, so,
1: so you're you know. actually doing important work that helps people so yeah you, know, <laughs> you have that going for you
0: well, yeah, okay, I'll take it I'll take it um yeah, that's the um the one that I I suppose I, I was speaking to some game journalists about this a little while back and how you know, they're not the highest paid journalists in the whole world um no. because yeah. because they have a fear that they're instantly replaceable mm. due to the nature of the job. Um, and yeah. how many people want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that is that a similar feeling in the the film journalism industry?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, as, you know, when I was, I, I went freelance because I was made redundant and I really did have a couple of Dark Nights of the Soul thinking, you know, I have no real profile outside of, I'm Helen from Empire, but nobody knows me as just Helen. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't mm-hmm. network. I'm not a drinker. I don't go to parties particularly often. You know, I didn't feel like I had that kind of, connection that would help me be a freelancer and so I had a very very um kind of yeah just scared period there where I was where I was made redundant and then what I realized what turned out to happen for me was because I'd been at Empire for as long as I had I did actually have a network and I did have connections and I had just been calling them friends or people I met do you know what I mean so um so the very first piece of work I got was from somebody who had done some work experience with Empire and I just happened to have been the one helping him out and giving him feedback and advising him during his work experience years before. And he he very kindly remembered that and, you know, offered me some work. Um, and the second piece I think I got was um, a, a, f- a genuine, very good friend who I met through Empire, Cat Brown, um, who's a fantastic writer and journalist. Um, she she was working at the time at the Telegraph, not a paper I would have reached out to if I'm honest. Um, but heard the film editor there complaining that he didn't have any reliable freelancers at that time. I'm sure he does have many, and I'm sure he had some then who were just on holiday. But um, but yeah, so she basically gave him my details and a couple of other friends, and um, and he's a fantastic, you know, say what you like at the, about the magazine, but Ross Jones, who who looks after the film side of things, is a fantastic, fantastic editor, has great ideas makes your work better, you know, it's just the 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 kind of dream person to work with. So so I got some work there. But but like cat wasn't my network. Cat work cat was my friend. Um and I think, so I th- I've been very lucky because I had that time in the office at Empire to build these kind of connections and meet these kind of people. I think the problem for a lot of young film journalists coming up now is there are no staff jobs or there are very, very, very few staff jobs. So it's much harder to get that first foot in the door. It's much harder to get your start. And so there are people who have made very successful careers for themselves, um, you know, like Amon, who who works with us quite a lot, Amon yeah. Warman. Um, and people like Katie Smith Wong and and um there are people who have like fought their way in and done very well but but some of those people have never had an office job and they've never had the staff job and they have just had to fight for every connection and every piece of work and like hats off to them because I think it's it's astonishing but it is so much more difficult to get your start that way and so much more difficult to progress to a decent level of pay that way because Pretty much all of them, I think that I know started off writing for free and really find it difficult to start getting properly paid, you know, enough to to do it as a as a sort of full-time job. It's really, really, really hard right now because because, you know, the okay, yes, the magazine industry is obviously not as healthy, let's say, as it was 20 years ago. But yeah. but also, you know, the, the reaction has been to to sort of shut down the entry-level jobs and that has just made it extremely difficult for people to to really craft their skills to get the feedback that they need to to you know be able to make mistakes and still get work from the same people the next day you know it's it's much harder when you're freelance that's that's your big worry or at least that's my big worry is if this is the if this is wrong if i get this wrong will this person never work with me again you know and right. that's kind of that's kind of the everything seems much more precarious now for me, um, but you know that's also partly because I've um, I've been in it long enough that I have some connections at least. I, I'm very fortunate compared to a lot of the younger people who have come into it, and I know that I have a lot of privilege that way. Um, uh, but also, you know, I, I I sort of have enough of a baseline of work at least. Touch wood, cross fingers right now um, that I kind of hope um, I can keep going for a while longer. But yeah, it's, 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 it's tough times for, for the media.
0: Mm, I certainly hope so. Um, I was going to ask about, you know, starting and coming up and what advice would you have, but mm. I guess you've already answered it there really. It's like,
1: well, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, so what, what I would say is I would say by all means, you know, if you want to do a few pieces for free to show, strut your stuff, basically by all means do so, but set a limit on that because you are devaluing yourself and you're also devaluing, of course, everybody else who's already in the profession So, you you know, for your own sake and for everybody else's, don't do a lot of work for free. If you want to do a couple of pieces that's between you and your God, fine. But but don't do it for a long time. People like film stories, you know, do use new young writers all the time. They do pay properly. So there are places you can get paid for working, but don't just work for free. And the other things I would say are all much more general. But, you know, first of all, and you would not believe how many people don't do this. Watch a lot of films.
0: Mm, yeah, like, that
1: one. Yeah, like watch some old films, like go on a little deep dive into a particular director. You know, you have to be able to have these conversations that we have every day. And nobody expects everybody to have seen everything. There are horrific omissions on my filmography that I'm not going to admit to on air. But, you know, you have to at least know what you've missed and you have to be able to have a clue about what's out there. Um, so you do need to do your reading. You do need to do your watching of things. Um, if you're going to be a writer, you should be reading and writing a lot, but especially reading a lot. It doesn't have to be journalism, but you should be reading loads. Uh, mm-hmm. You should get your uh, punctuation and spelling and grammar on point. If you are if you are dyslexic, allowances will be made. But if you're not dyslexic, you need to have them on point. And you would not believe how many people come out of English degrees in this country and don't know how to use an apostrophe um because we've had some of them in for for work experience over the years so um so yeah all that kind of stuff but but literally i mean that there, there are because teams are so much smaller because there aren't a lot of you know junior journalists you know commissioning editors are doing 10 times the work for probably less pay than they than they would have been 10 or 20 years ago so they don't have time to employ somebody who can't write they don't have time sure to go through and correct your commas and your punctuation and your spelling and whatever else. So they are going to favor the person who is super reliable and, you know, has seen the films and knows how to write in English. No matter how brilliant you are, if you don't have those, then you're not going to be the person they go to, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's absolutely fair. Um, I mean,
1: it's very boring uninspiring advice, no, but it is but it is good one
0: it's 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 perfect advice you know people need to know about the situation you know they need to know the circumstances and um that's that that's fantastic mm. um i guess so oh, we're nearly at the end now but um Sorry. i wanted to ask you about barbenheimer
1: oh yeah yeah
0: um it's been a fun summer in the cinema has it not
1: it has yeah it, it's taken a stumble maybe the last couple of weeks but um mm-hmm. But I mean, Barbenheimer was fantastic. I thought, look, Mission was a great film. Indie was a perfectly decent film. Guardians mm-hmm. was good, as we've discussed. Um, you know, there have the blockbusters have not been a disastrous bunch this year, and in particular, Barbenheimer. Both of them, I thought, were were magnificent. And and Mission, I would almost put on the same level. I thought Magni- Mission was magnificent, and I'm very upset that it didn't do slightly better at the box office, you know, so far. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, that phenomenon and the way it broke out. You see, I thought that was just a film Twitter thing at first. I thought, you know, we're all enjoying the incongruity of these two films up against each other. But it's totally normal programming, actually, to just have two very diametrically opposed films opening on the same day. That's very common. Um, programming is like a law. So I didn't think anybody else would be quite as excited about it as film Twitter, but it just seemed to take off. It just seemed to capture the imagination somehow. And I think that's because, you know, Barbie obviously had one of the great all-time great marketing campaigns and and a lot of interest in it just organically. Mm -hmm. And Oppenheimer, I think maybe I was sort of forgetting or underestimating to what extent Nolan himself is a brand and is a franchise. So whatever he does, that is a big deal to to a huge number of you know moviegoers um which is which is great which is which says very good things about about the audience and about what they're looking for in a film and the success of both films shows you know that you can take risks and you can do original things and you can say political things in a film yeah and that can connect with a huge number of people and and i just hope that hollywood takes those lessons from barbenheimer and not just we need to make more toy films
0: absolutely yeah i think um but i remember when it was first announcement barbie was like mm. okay they're making a barbie movie what, yeah, but don't K- care. what? i know right yes. <laughs> what's happening now um like, and suddenly you know the cast gets announced and you know i think the i think it was gosling for me that it was like okay this is <laughs> something's happening here you know this is going to be quite serious and i had such a great time with it
1: it's um, so it's so fun i have not i genuinely i think that's probably my best like cinema experience maybe since end game you know in terms of just the whole wow. cinema whooping and cheering and getting into it just i was in a packed house um and and it honestly was up there with with the reaction to end game in that respect
0: oh so good <laughs> where's, the where's the spoiler special
1: i know we're, i know we'll just we've we've all been at sixes and sevens wait did we do it already I think we might have recorded it. Have we recorded it? Uh, Chris very
0: briefly mentioned that you were recording it after Oppenheimer.
1: Oh, there we go. So I think we have recorded it. Yeah, he maybe just he's been on holiday, so he hasn't had a chance to edit. Of course, for him, holiday involves like recording a podcast and editing four more. But yeah, he has (laughs) been on a podcast on a holiday in
0: theory. Yeah. Then it was Oppenheimer. I mean, I think one of my favorite things of the whole thing was watching Oppenheimer cast members being asked about Barbie. And, oh um, i know it was just like they 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 almost look like uh, they're, they're of course they're saying like oh yeah it's great yeah it's great for cinema it's great for audiences you know but, but inside they're like please, please stop, stop asking me about bob
1: <laughs> i'm just not qualified to answer this yeah. question please
0: and and nolan was just like uh, there was one i don't know which one it was was a happy side confused maybe it was um he was you could just see it in his eyes like he was just seething
1: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. he, I mean, he's he's a he's a hugely talented filmmaker, but I don't oh, imagine absolutely. that he that he embraced that particular line of promotion for his film naturally. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Do you
0: think do you think years down the line, one would have worked about the other? Because like Oppenheimer on like seven hundred million now or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And Barbie's one point two billion, I think. Um, Crazy. So look, I think I think it's great for both of them, but also just I just think it's great for cinema. It just shows that the audience is there. And mm. if they're not coming out to your film, it's maybe because you're not catering to them. So like I say, I just feel like I feel like the problem with Hollywood, you know, you get these people asking you like quite a lot, do you think Hollywood's out of ideas? And my answer is an absolute no. Yeah. I think Hollywood has never had better people involved i think it's never had a richer and more diverse crop of filmmakers who have interesting ideas that we haven't seen a million times and i think the problem is we have the worst generation of studio executives ever (laughs) they don't care about film they care about money they're coming into it with mbas and stock prices as their guiding light instead of film and of course the old moguls wanted to make money like i'm not over-romanticizing they absolutely wanted to make money they absolutely wanted to treat to cut costs they treated people abominably um Mm. but they did i think care about film as well and aspire to make films and i genuinely wonder about some of the current generation if that's true so i yeah i do you know i i'm really struggling with with some of the behavior that's going on through these strikes on the part of the studios i think shows that we have this kind of you know, a real problem in the at the studio levels,
0: yeah, at the absolutely. highest
1: highest echelons, you know thereof, yeah.
0: Of course, yeah. Um, it's that old adage of it is like if John Lennon were on X Factor, nobody would have put him through. You know, <laughs> it's it's that that kind of idea that there are so many great things, but if they're not, if you don't see the X Factor immediately, then perhaps it isn't going to yeah. get made. You know, um, well,
1: and also just you know, I think it's you know it's one of the things about Oppenheimer being. Being very compelling is that it is a pretty smart film. Now, I did pick up on the spoiler special um, um, a couple of clunk- clunky lines, I thought, but generally speaking, overall, like it's a film that demands quite a lot of its audience. And so, to be honest, is Barbie. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds weird to say it, but like this is a film that talks about the patriarchy and all these kind of feminist ideas. And, and so, we're asking people to engage with big thoughts when they go for a piece of entertainment and people have absolutely done that and i think you know and something like everything everywhere all at once people did that you know the best films ask something of you in return they are almost a conversation with the audience and so the ones where everything is being spoon-fed to us i think we know that they're bad right you know and Mm -hmm. we just we just want more anyway
0: yeah absolutely there's there's, I think, a time and a place for both. I think there. Are, sometimes mm-hmm. I do, I love going to see, you know, I love going to see a Fast and Furious movie if I need yeah. it in my life, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they know exactly what they are and they're mm-hmm. just, oh, maybe they do. I don't know if they do or not. Sometimes uh, I, think, I wonder. I think-
1: I think half that cast knows exactly what it is and the other half doesn't. And and that's one of the fun things since fast five or so has been trying to spot which cast members are in on the joke and which ones are not. So, um, but yeah, I absolutely agree. I love a big dumb action movie and you will try sure. them from my cold dead hands, a hundred percent. Not everything needs to have a message or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I think, what I think we can say is that not enough films maybe have that, extra layer not enough films we're we're just not giving enough variety in the cinemas right now Mm -hmm. um a lot of the kind of adult drama the sort of you know if you think about the 90s thrillers you know mid-budget star-led probably based on a John Grisham novel but hopefully not um you know I I want some of those on the big screen again and and I think that is kind of what's been missing from cinemas and that's why the entire older generation basically aren't going to the cinema most of the time, you know, and, and also quite frankly, why general growing ups aren't going to the cinema. They're like, well, I'll just wait for it on Disney. I'll wait for it on Netflix.
0: Yeah. Because, um,
1: you
0: know, hey. that was um, a big thing with my dad. My dad wasn't a fan of going to the cinema purely for in, in and in quotes, other people. Right. And <laughs> um, But I dragged him to see uh, Top Gun Maverick. Oh yeah. And um, he had the most amazing time.
1: It was an incredible film. And again, incredible big screen experience. Like yeah. the big screen at its best is better. I don't care how big your home cinema is. The big screen is better. When you have a packed house watching a film that everybody's excited about, It is. it's like being at a rock concert or something. It is phenomenal. And I think we are losing that and missing out on that. Uh, when we when we fail to go to the cinema but look i i get it you know a, a lot of cinemas they're massively understaffed they're um they you know there is bad behavior and no one is policing it and it's incredibly frustrating and i would love to you know find a way past that and find a way for cinemas to deal with that and make going to the cinema a really glorious thing because i know that it can be i'm lucky enough i'm in london and i have these all these incredible cinemas on my doorstep, and I can go to obviously these big press screenings where everyone there loves movies. Yeah. And we can all be excited together. But that's all I want for everybody else to have as well. And it's frustrating to me that, you know, it seems so impossible for a lot of people.
0: I'm in um, Taunton in Somerset. Oh, yeah. And we have one cinema, we have an Odeon, and they have no competition. So every ticket is £16 each. Whoa. It's, it's a freaking nightmare, Helen. That
1: is a lot of money for a ticket. Wow! Yeah.
0: So, like, if my my uh, a friend of mine, um, he has two kids. If he wants to go to the cinema, it will cost him at least fifty pounds. Yeah, a time, you know, and so
1: well, that's another problem. You know, that is genuinely another problem for people, especially in the cost of living crunch. You know, so so I think cinemas need to be offering a lot for that money, really. Yeah. And I get it's not easy for them. I know that it's been a, a horrific few years for cinemas. We have seen a huge number of closures in this country and around the world. It has been very, very difficult. But equally, you know, it 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 kind of needs to maybe go both ways to really bring them back to full force and really make going to the cinema an essential thing again. Anyway, I'm getting back on a hobby horse. I can feel myself, so I'm just
0: No, it's okay. I love I had a hobby horse. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> um I lived in Cardiff for a while, and obviously in Cardiff, there's a view, a City World, a Odeon. Mm. Odeon, they've got an IMAX there. Um oh. this this little indie cinema opened. Um, right in the middle of town and they charge four ninety-nine for a ticket for, oh. for anything. And okay, well, yeah. All the big okay. guys went, ah, right. <laughs> um, and so View a week later went four eighty nine for every movie.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> and so we went we where did we go into the View in like recliners and three D for four pound eighty nine a ticket every time? Amazing. And you know, the, the 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 competition was just so you know rapid at that time. Mm. And, and unfortunately in the town I live in now. Um, it's the only cinema, and so they have a they have, they have the complete monopoly on it. Unfortunately,
1: mm, that's but, um, not so ideal. Well, uh, I'm going to the Prince Charles Cinema tomorrow, um, uh... which is which is always a pleasure, never a chore. So um, so that should be a giggle. Um, but yeah, it it is it it is a huge thing. I mean, I grew up in a town with with one cinema as well, and you know, it was literally um, amplifiers stacked in front of the screen. Right. Um, so it was not. It was not high tech back in those days. It it has been refurbished now. Just to be clear, the Jet Centre in Colwyn is now a functional cinema. But but um, but it was very very basic. So you know, I've I've lived that life, and uh, and I prefer it when I have a load of cinemas to choose from. Sure,
0: of course, of course. Um, right then, I thought I'd uh, finish off with just some uh, quick, uh, some some quick questions. Okay. Um. What is your favorite film of all time?
1: Oh, changes day to day. Um Cyrano de Bergerac is usually up there. Uh, the Princess Bride, His Girl Friday, um at the apartment. Probably one of those four, with honorable mentions for like the obvious big ones, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Avengers mm-hmm. Endgame, um, Hunt for the Wilder people, which I adore. Um yeah, pro- probably one of probably one of those. I'm very I bad thought- at lists. Very bad.
0: Much like an Empire podcast, it's like we'll talk about his endgame. I like that. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, do you think there'll be another endgame in our lifetime, or do you know, it's just a yeah? Like a complete I mean,
1: off. not necessarily. You know, maybe it'll be X Men endgame rather than Avengers endgame. Do you know what I mean? But um, sure. but no, I think there will. I think there will be something like that. Like I say, I had almost that feeling. I had a lot of that feeling just watching Barbie. I had a I had a bit of that feeling just watching Top Gun Maverick. You know, mm. so. There are incredible films out there that can give you that high. They're still being made, guys. So we just have to we just have to keep out. But by the way, the other the other one that always comes to mind is um, Parasite. So no spoilers. But there's sure. there's a point in Parasite where a door opens, and the cinema yes. was in. Everybody was like. oh, <gasps> You know, just this huge collective intake of breath and and just everybody kind of going nuts. And and so that, you know, it can happen even with small films. It doesn't have to be a gigantic blockbuster. Mm. Um, but it's it's a it's a beautiful thing when it does.
0: Can't believe Andrew Garth and Toby Maguire were on the other side of that door. I mean, who saw that coming?
1: <laughs> that was also incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: it was so charming. Was. Yeah. I saw I did not want that spoiled for me in any way. So I saw the very first screening on the very first day.
1: Very wise. Yeah.
0: I woke up at eight thirty. We're like, no, we're going right now. Let's do this. <laughs> and uh, oh man, what a moment. Um, what's your favorite performance of all time? Do you think?
1: Ooh, uh, just because I've just mentioned it, it's in my head. It's it's probably going to be Jack Lemon in the apartments. Great. He is flawless in every single movement and tick and word of that performance. He is. No one has ever been better at anything than he <laughs> is in that movie. He is incredible um so yeah probably him i mean but like honorable mentions to like a million people but uh yeah. also marilyn monroe is now coming to mind in in, in gentleman Prefer blondes i think mm. yeah she's fantastic in that i can ba- basically recite that film it's wonderful that should also be among my top films ever come to think of it
0: what film you were looking forward to
1: well, only cuz I've been thinking about it this week, uh, I saw a French film called The Innocent which is coming out next week, uh, which stars Louis Garrel among other people. He was Professor Bear in uh, Gregor Gerwig's Little Women. Um mm-hmm. but he's also Louis the 13th in The First of the Two French Musketeers, which ah, came okay. out earlier this year. So the the second one, which is called The Three Musketeers Colon Milady, I believe, is out Lovely. in 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 theory December, but like who knows with the way release dates are going right now. But I am it reminded me how hyped I am for that film, because the first one is freaking amazing. And I have such a checkered history with not loving Musketeers adaptations, but this one I adore. So, so yeah, Three Musketeers and the um, The Marvels, which we mentioned before. And, of course, Dune, Dune Part 2. I mean, I'm so hyped for that. So, so hyped. I'm
0: sorry, I don't feel worthy to have done that. I just did that out of your uh, <laughs> no, no, fanboyism
1: absolutely do you know join in it's um but it the first film was astonishing i just watched it again the other night and um and i was on set of the first one and i had a great time and i got to play with like chris knives and the gom jabbar and everything It was amazing one of my all-time greatest set visits so um so yeah i'm very invested in the second one being up to the same standard
0: i don't know if you mentioned it but your job is pretty cool isn't it
1: it's pretty great like i can't deny it i really can't uh, and you know, I'm like, it's not every day, of course, that I get to go on one of those set visits, but like over the years, I've been extremely lucky. And I've, you know, like I said, I've been on Dune. I was on Civil War and Guardians, the first mm. Guardians and the first Captain America as well, actually, and Black Widow and Wonder Woman. I saw her go up that ladder out of the trench.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, that was pretty incredible. Uh, and, you know, and I've been on Harry Potter's and I've been on... uh well, I was on X-Men Origins Wolverine, but the point is I got to meet Wolverine, okay? <laughs> Let's not focus on which film I saw. Um it, so I have been just enormously lucky and and it is, you know, it's the reason that we all we all do this, or it's one of the reasons we all do this, is that we sometimes do get to have these extraordinary experiences and meet these incredible people who do things that we love. Um, and that's a that's mm. a beautiful thing.
0: Do you think there's ever a moment where like if you were like, oh, we need you to go to just like like New Zealand to meet Peter Jackson for doing Lord of the Rings, and you go. Oh God! Oh, you God. Um, <laughs> do you think like if 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 you were to feel like like stressed or annoyed about it, you think it's probably time to hang up the boots?
1: Or... <laughs> I think it probably would. It's something like that. I mean, look, there have been times where it's been like, you know, can you go to East London to go on set of this? I don't know, gangster movie that may or may not ever come out. Mm-hmm. You know, there th- there have been moments where I've been a bit like, oh, okay, I guess- yes, I can, but like I'm not super excited by it. But I hope I would always have the wit to be excited by an actual, genuine, you know, opportunity. And, and even yeah. then, when I have gone on set of of smaller films, you know, you see a cast and a crew really working their butts off to make something out of potentially nothing and you know and and you have to respect that when you do get there you're always like oh my god yeah these people really care about this and you know it's it's always something that they're working very very hard to make as brilliant as it possibly can be whatever the limitations on it so um so yeah uh I, I, yeah No, if if i ever start complaining about oh god it's a really long flight um <laughs> yeah just hit me over the head please
0: yeah uh, a fun fact about that wonder woman moment um it confirmed one of my friend's sexuality really yeah <laughs> we all went to see it and um she came out and went i just talked to you i was like yeah What? Like, well, i'm gay I was like, oh, okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean i'll be honest when gal-gadot walks past in the full wonder woman gear like my jaw dropped and oh I'm, my I'm, God. I'm still pretty sure i'm straight but like I, you know mm. if any if anybody's going to make you wobble it's it's really going to be her in that outfit um uh And weirdly, uh, we once had Mark Strong come into the office to do a web chat. I don't know why it was Mark Strong who had this effect, but every man in the office afterwards was like that's a that's a really handsome human being that is that guy is whew. you know, and again, mostly straight men were saying this, but clearly hmm. he 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 ticked the Kinsey scale just a little bit there, there There was a move of the needle there, so uh so yeah, some people are gonna impress you that way
0: yeah I'm in the Ryan Reynolds pack, I think in that one.
1: Oh, I mean, he's a very handsome
0: man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one more question. This is so sweet. This is from my friend Sarah, who's also a big fan of the podcast. Oh. Um, she wanted to say, Hi there, Helen. I've always been somewhat embarrassed to ask, but I'm a big fan of the podcast. And I hear mean, he used a phrase Chekhov's, cetera, or something, or something other. Can I quietly ask what you mean by this? Is I never had the guts to write it into Empire and ask. What's sorry, what was you. the phrase? I didn't hear? Um, like when you say uh, Chekhov's, hat or Chekhov's Chekhov's gun Gun or something. Yeah.
1: Yes. So this is a theory in drama. I think it comes from obviously Chekhov's stage plays, not the one from Star Trek. Um, And uh, his, his maxim was if there is a gun on stage in the first act, it has to have been fired by the third act. So basically if they set something up early in a film, you know, if, if like Bond is showing his new car that can drive underwater by act three, he has to have driven it underwater. Like there has to have been a reason for that. Um, so, for example, I would say that, a, um, I shouldn't really give a counterexample, example, but in Inception, they make this big deal about how uh, Elliot Page can do all these extraordinary things in the dream that nobody else has ever really been able to do, and then they don't visibly make any use of that. Now, apparently, the idea is that 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 character has contributed to the finale and everything else, but you don't really, that that isn't really made clear in the film or wasn't to me. So, that for me was an example of Chekhov's gun not being fired. Right. But generally speaking, you can always spot the gun early on because then it will be, it will come into play later.
0: There we are. There you go, Sarah. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> um, but not a stupid question at all. It's it's a it's a drama term that we've probably explained at one point about 400 podcasts ago. So, mm. and then we've just started talking nonsense around. So, yeah, absolutely on us.
0: She was so sweet. She mentioned me like, "Can you ask canon about the checkoff thing?" And I was like,
1: "Yeah, sure." <laughs> She's
0: just like, "I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want like the whole podcast to see." But if you ask canon then I'll be alright. <laughs> <laughs> she got very nervous about it. um Anyway, Hannah, thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolute pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you.
0: I hope you've had a good time. And um, yeah, the podcast, was it? Friday, so it should be out today, shouldn't it? The new one?
1: Oh, ah, uh, it should be. Yes, uh, it was recorded on time yesterday. And Chris was up editing it at one o'clock this morning because he is on holiday, you uh, see. So uh, he's just not an, very good at holidays.
0: Was an absolute hero. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, I suppose, yeah, this is going out on the following Monday. So yeah, go back wow. and listen to the latest episode of The Empire Podcast. Subscribe to the spoiler specials because they are hilariously good fun. thank you um, yeah Um, this has been yeah a real treat for me and uh, again thank you for your time
1: absolute pleasure see you again cheers
0: bye well there we are ladies and gentlemen hi this is Roscoe in the editing booth Um, just wanted to add a little outro uh, before the podcast finished Um, what a great chat that was Um, our thanks to Helen O'Hara once again um, for joining us and yeah I really hope that this can be a fun series Um, it won't just be me that's doing the interviews I know Miles wants to set an interview up as well, coming soon. Um, So, yeah, you'll hear different voices uh, throughout the series, hopefully, Um, the more people we can get on to chat. But that was was a cracking way to start. And um, thank you very much indeed for checking it out. Um, Hopefully we can get Helen on again another day um, to talk more movie madness. Um, And, yeah, I'm looking forward to that day. But, again... Thanks for listening. If you do want to follow us, you can follow us absolutely everywhere. Just go to the link tree in the description below to find us in all the places. If you really like what we do, why not follow our Patreon? $1 a month, that's about 71p, I think, at the moment. You can keep this podcast live on its various podcasting services, keeping the website nice and shiny. We are everywhere, of course, over on Twitter at FNGRGNS, not X, it's called Twitter. And we are on threads at finger underscore GNS. So if you don't want to follow us anywhere, follow in those places to keep us up to date. And of course, check out the website for reviews, news, features, and of course, the Finger Guns podcast. I've been Roscoe. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Until next time. Um, I haven't got an outro for this one yet. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it and get back to you. <laughs> All right. Bye.